Good morning. What's happening today? Everybody good? Yeah, it's good to see all your smiling faces out there today. Many of you have uh, brought to my attention, you guys know that uh, I pay attention to some of these uh, observances that happen during the week. Some of you have brought to my attention that Monday was a special day. Uh, what day was it? Anyone? National Pie Day. It was National Pie Day. But what I want us to understand is that it was not National Pie P-I-E Day. No, National Pie Day, as in the Greek letter Pi. Because it was Monday, it was March 14, right? 314, 3.14. That is the value of pi in Euclidean geometry. Oh, the things you learn when you come to church, right? And pi is actually what? Anybody know what pi is? It's a ratio. Ratio of the circumference to the radius. Radius of the circle, right? Right. See, we're learning. It's, it's wonderful. That's where we get the formula for the area of a circle, which is pi r squared. Now, some of you may be saying, whoa, 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 that can't be right because pi r round, cake r squared. <laughs> That's an old math joke that obviously isn't very funny. But anyway. Haha, <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to begin this morning um, by asking a question, and this is without a doubt the most important question you will ever be asked. It's a question that all of humanity must wrestle with, all of humanity must answer, and that question is, who is Jesus? Ask 10 different people, and you will more than likely get almost as many answers. Now, the Barna Group, you may have heard of them before. They conduct surveys and they publish the results. They did a survey and they asked some Americans very similar questions. And I think that the results are just eye-opening and, and really kind of troubling. I'll just share a few of them with you. 92% of all Americans surveyed agree that Jesus was, in fact, a real person. And that's good because there's a lot of evidence uh, overwhelming historical evidence that Jesus did, in fact, walk this earth. Sadly, the percentage drops to 87% when you look at the subset of millennials. And we're going to keep looking at that subset because I think that we see some really troubling trends here. But the majority of Americans agree that Jesus did, in fact, live. But here's where things kind of start to go off the rails. When asked if Jesus was God, only 56% said yes. Yes, Jesus was and is God. The rest were convinced that Jesus was either a prophet, no different than Muhammad or Buddha, or just a really good teacher, you know, a good guy that maybe we want to kind of model our lives after. And unfortunately, here again, when we look at the millennial subset, it's the only generation in which less than half 
only 48% believe that Jesus was God. 35% say, yeah, he's just like some sort of good spiritual leader. 17% say, we have no idea who he is. That is troubling. Now, despite all of this, Americans appear to be committed to Jesus. About 60% claim to have made a personal, ongoing commitment to Jesus. And again, sadly, millennials are much less likely to have made or kept such a commitment. Fewer than half, only 46% have made or kept a commitment to Jesus, compared to 59% for Gen Xers, 65% for Boomers, which is my generation, and 71% for the elders, or as they call them, the silent generation. And I could go on, I could, we could keep dissecting these, these uh, statistics, but I, I want to focus for just a minute on those who claim to have made this commitment to Jesus. People who call themselves Christians or, or evangelicals, church-going people. See, there is confusion, friends, among believers Confusion, troubling confusion, confusion with regard to how one gets to heaven. This is among evangelicals. Only 63% say they're going to heaven because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Only 63%. The rest, they think they're going to heaven because they've been good enough. Yeah, you know, I'm basically a really good person. I try to follow the Ten Commandments. I mean, I've never killed anyone. You know, besides, God loves everyone. He loves everyone. He would never let me perish. And there's another even more recent survey that shows that 30% of evangelicals, of evangelicals, friends, agree that Jesus was just a good teacher and nothing more. Certainly not God. That is troubling to me, friends. What does that tell us? Well, maybe it tells us that we're not doing a really good job of teaching the truth. Or maybe people aren't paying attention. Or maybe they don't care. It certainly tells us that we're missing the mark with young people, and this, friends, is critical. This is critical because young people are the future of the church. They are the future of the world. There's confusion. Confusion among church-going believers about who Jesus is. So who is Jesus? And what we, what we have to remember, friends, is how we answer that question has eternal consequences. That will determine where, in fact, we spend eternity. Well, as we continue this morning in our exploration of the significant events in Jesus' life, what we're going to see today is that Jesus is, in a sense, asking us that very question. He's asking us, who do you say I am? Jesus asked his disciples that question in Matthew 16, and he's asking us today, who do you say I am? 
Now, if you were with us last week, you may remember that we looked at Jesus when he called his first disciples. And we learned, among other things, that Jesus is, in fact, calling us today as well. Calling us to follow after him. Calling us to learn from him. Calling us to go and share the gospel. Go and fish for people, right? And trust. Put our trust in him. And in that moment that we looked at last week, Jesus called his disciples who would become his closest friends. In John 15, Jesus calls his disciples his friends. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we too are friends of Jesus. But not everyone is a friend of Jesus. The truth is, Jesus had enemies. He had them back then. And today, there are still enemies of this person that we call Jesus. Now today, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that illuminates this and and really describes a confrontation. A confrontation between Jesus and some of those who opposed his ministry, some who were against him, will call them enemies because they hated Jesus. They hated him. Now our focus is going to be on Matthew chapter 12. The particular scripture we're going to really investigate is, is verses 22 to 32. But we're going to kind of look at all of chapter 12. So if you want to open your Bibles to chapter 12, of the book of Matthew and follow along, that would be great. And we're going to look at the whole chapter because quite honestly, friends, the entire chapter speaks about Jesus' confrontation with these people that are called the Pharisees, the religious leaders in the Jewish church. And we see this right at the very beginning of the chapter. I'm going to paraphrase a lot of this. We don't have time to read the entire chapter. But Jesus here, he's walking with his disciples. It happens to be the Sabbath. And the disciples, they're hungry. They're walking through a grain field, so they pick some heads of grain to eat. And the Pharisees, they're watching. They are watching this. And they, they, they jump all over Jesus. Now you notice they didn't jump on the disciples, they jumped on Jesus. And they said, your disciples, your disciples are doing something that's unlawful. They're doing something that's forbidden. Now, I want us to remember, and and we read about this last week at the end of chapter 11. If you recall, at the end of chapter 11, Matthew had just quoted Jesus offering an easy yoke and a light burden. And now Matthew is showing us the kind of heavy burden and difficult yoke that the Pharisees put on the people. And I want us to understand that most of these laws were man-made. These are man-made laws, and, and, and many of them were, quite honestly, silly. Like, you couldn't carry anything in your hand on the Sabbath. But you could, you could balance it on the back of your hand. Or you could, you could carry it on your elbow. 
Okay, here's another one. You couldn't tie a knot on the Sabbath. But, but a woman could tie her girdle on the Sabbath. So if you needed a bucket of water from the well, you couldn't tie the rope to the bucket, but a woman could tie her girdle to the bucket and then her girdle to the rope and then pull water up like that. I mean, is this crazy or what? These are man-made rules. Now, Jesus points this out. He points this out and he tells the Pharisees, you don't understand the intent of the law. See, Jesus never violated God's law to observe the Sabbath, and that is what God's law says, observe the Sabbath. But he often broke these man-made traditions, these man-made additions, in order to point out the blindness to the true intent of the law. Besides, as Jesus told them in chapter in verse 8 of chapter 12, He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He alone has the authority to interpret the law, which is, friends, an outright claim to deity. By saying that, he's saying, I'm God. And that really, really riled these Pharisees up. So we see the Pharisees jumping on Jesus because of what his disciples did. In the following verses, they challenge him. They want to trick him into something. So Jesus goes in the synagogue. The Pharisees are there, and there's a man with a withered hand. And in an effort to kind of trick him into saying something that's against the law, they say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And basically what Jesus says is, yes, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So Jesus heals the man, and verse 14 tells us the Pharisees then, they went out and plotted how to kill Jesus. And this is a real turning point for the Pharisees, because up till then, they were just trying to trick him. They were just trying to get him to say something. Now they're looking to destroy him, to kill him. And then in verse 15, Jesus, uh, Matthew writes, Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. So here again, and we talked a little bit about this last week, Matthew is helping us, he's helping us here to answer that all-important question, who is Jesus? And he shows us that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, the one prophesied about in the Old Testament. Friends, make no mistake, Jesus is the one and only Son of God. He is God himself. Matthew goes on to quote from Isaiah chapter 42. He says, Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. And clearly what we see is an echo of this in Jesus' baptism, right? When the heavens opened and the voice said, My son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Matthew continues the quotation and says, I will put my spirit on him, again echoed in Jesus' baptism. 
And he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory in his name. The nations will put their hope. And really, friends, all of this speaks to the humble, gentle nature of Jesus. The servant of the Lord. This is who Jesus is. He is the example of our life to be lived in obedience to God. Not to be served, but to serve. That's who Jesus was. And then in verse 22, Matthew writes this. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? So here again we see Jesus' complete authority over the forces of evil in this world. Complete authority over demonic power. He casts out this demon. He heals this man. And and it's, it's very interesting to note that Friends, we too, we too were at one time blind. We were blind to the truth of the gospel until the Spirit of God opened our eyes and allowed us to see. We were healed of our blindness, just like this man. But you know, we were also mute. We were also unable to speak and share and proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But just like this man in the story, our mouths are opened. We are able to speak. We are able to share the gospel. We are commanded to go and to share the gospel. Go fish for people. And you know, when the people saw this, we see that they began to wrestle with this question that we asked at the very beginning this morning. Who is this man, Jesus? Could this be the Son of God? Could this be the Messiah, the Son of David? And their confusion, quite honestly, is is somewhat understandable. See, they saw David, they saw their ancestor as a king. David was a warrior. And they expected the Son of David to come as such, as a warrior, as a liberator. Certainly not as this this humble, gentle healer that they see before them in Jesus. But the crowd said, maybe, maybe this is the Messiah. The Pharisees had a different spin on this. Verse 24 But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. So the religious leaders here, they respond to this miracle by attributing Jesus' power to Satan. Essentially what they're doing is they're accusing him of sorcery by the power of the devil, which, friends, 
was a capital offense. It was worthy of stoning. But verse 25 tells us that Jesus knew their thoughts. And again, here is omniscience is proving exactly who he is, who he was, God. And he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And what Jesus does here is he just, he very simply appeals to logic. And he observes that it just doesn't make any sense for Satan to drive out Satan. Satan tries to control the world by sending out demons to do his work. He certainly wouldn't cast one of them out. The Pharisees needed to explain how what Jesus had done, how Jesus healing this man, how that benefited Satan. just didn't make sense. And then he goes on to ask another thought-provoking question. He says, and if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. Now, I want us to know that it, it was not unusual for the leaders of the Jewish church, here Jesus calls them your people, it was not unusual for them to perform exorcisms. There's plenty of extra-biblical literature that contains stories of, of really what are strange rituals performed in an effort to cast out demons. Many of these rituals involved, you know, herbs and, and, and magical incantations and magical formulae. And quite honestly, the success of these methods were insignificant. They really were. Some even invoked the name of Jesus. Luke writes about that in Acts chapter 19, where one of these Jewish exorcists said to a demon... In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. But that didn't work either. Because if you know the story, the demon says to the exorcist, Jesus I know, and Paul I've heard of, but who are you? Not only were they unable to cast out the demon, but the demon got the better of them, beat the guy up, and sent him off running. So the success of these Jewish exorcists was absolutely in question. But when we talk about the astonishment that we see in the crowd in verse 23, that tells us that the authority Jesus has, the authority he has in casting out demons with just a word, just a single word, is unprecedented. Unprecedented. They, the, the Jewish exorcists could not do that. No one could do what Jesus did. And then he says something very convicting in verse 28. He says, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now think about that for a minute. I mean, is he like really laying it on to these guys now? Absolutely. 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 
See, Jesus cast out these demons as a result of the power of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit that we learned about in his baptism a couple of weeks ago. The Holy Spirit that descended on Jesus like a dove and stayed with him. It is the Holy Spirit working in and through Jesus that allowed him to triumph over evil. And friends, that same power, that same power of the Holy Spirit is available to each and every one of us today. Each and every one of us has that same power living in us if we have given our lives to Jesus. And then again, Jesus reiterates the fact that the kingdom of God has come near to them. And what he's saying is, Jesus is who he says he is. He is the son of David. He is the Messiah. And he's exercising God's kingdom power over evil. And in verse 29, he draws an analogy to a strong man. He says, or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. And, and, and really what Jesus is saying here is he was able to exercise the demon because he had first bound the strong man. He had first bound Satan. And friends, all of this, all of this began with the victory that he had over temptation that we learned about a couple of weeks ago. By resisting temptation, Jesus demonstrated, he demonstrated that Satan was powerless to stop Jesus. Powerless to stop him from his mission of proclaiming the kingdom of God. And friends, let me, let me reassure you that Satan is powerless against the gospel today. He is powerless against the gospel today. Oh, he tries to persecute and he sends his demons out to intimidate and to cause doubt. But... By the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, friends, the gospel will go forth. And he's going to use us to spread it. And then in verse 30, this is, this is really where it gets critical, so stay with me here. Jesus makes it clear who his enemies are. He says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. And look, Jesus is making it crystal clear here, friends. There is no neutrality with Jesus. There's no room for being lukewarm. You cannot say, yeah, you know, there's a lot of things that I like about Jesus, but, uh, you know, there's some things that I don't agree with and I'm not comfortable with that. No, that is not how this works. You're either with him or you're against him. You're either gathering or you're scattering. There's nothing in between. You are either with God or you are his enemy. And Jesus goes on to explain how serious this is in verses 31 and 32. He says, and so I tell you, Every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit 
will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. And what, what Jesus is describing here is very often referred to as the unpardonable sin. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He's, he's solemnly warning the Pharisees. He's solemnly warning us today as well against rejecting Him. Remember, it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to testify to the truth about Jesus. In John 15, Jesus tells us, He, meaning the Holy Spirit, will testify about me. And when that testimony, the testimony of the Holy Spirit, when that is rejected, and friends, we are talking about a flagrant, willful, and consistent rejection, that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Deliberate rejection of the truth about Jesus as revealed by the Holy Spirit. And friends, that will not be forgiven. There are eternal consequences to that. Now, I know that many over the years have sort of you know, wondered if they've committed this unpardonable sin. Well, let me put your mind at ease. If you are at all concerned about committing that sin, I can pretty much tell you that you haven't. See, the fact that you're concerned with it at all, the fact that you desire Jesus at all, shows that you are not guilty of that sin. If you had committed the unpardonable sin, you'd be saying things like, you know, I don't care. I'm not worried about it at all. I reject Jesus. No big deal. I'm his enemy. I don't care. I'm fine with my rejection of Jesus. That'd be the unpardonable sin. See, every other sin, friends, can be forgiven by the grace of Jesus Christ. The complete and total rejection of Him, that will not be forgiven. So, really, we come all the way back full circle to the very beginning. Who is Jesus? What's your answer? You know, is he just a nice guy that lived a long time ago? You know, a good teacher, good role model? Or, friends, is he the one and only Son of God? The Messiah, our Savior, come to die on the cross and be raised to life for us. The one and only hope of salvation, the one who holds ultimate power over the forces of evil in this world. That is who we know him to be here at Hope Church. Jesus is God. But even more important, friends, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Will you accept the truth about him? Remember, you're either for him or against him. There's no middle ground. There's no neutrality. You're either all in or you're all out. You either belong to Jesus or you are his enemy. And, and I'm not going to apologize for this because I'm not making this stuff up. These are the very words of Jesus himself. Remember we said we're going to preach the truth of Scripture even if it makes us a little uncomfortable at times. 
Does that make you a little uncomfortable? Maybe it does because you haven't answered the call to believe in Him. You haven't gone all in for Jesus. I pray, friend, that you would do that today. Accept Him as your Savior. And I pray that each and every one of us, no matter where you're at in your walk with Him, I pray that we would all go in for the one who died for us. The one who gives us victory over evil and his enemies in this world. Let's stand up and boldly say, I'm with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and, and praise you. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you so much for who you are. And we thank you for revealing the truth of who you are in your word. We thank you, Lord, that you've opened our eyes and that you've given us the gospel and you've given us the power to, to, to have victory over evil and that you've asked us to be on your side, to stand up and to boldly say, yes, Jesus is Lord. And I pray that, I pray that we would be that people that would stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.